Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3. Oh, the Houston Astros say, you know what? We got money. Let's spend it. Let's go get ourselves a former league MVP, add another big bat to the lineup, and still got money to spare. That's exactly what the reigning World Series champions did yesterday. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, the big, bald, and beautiful one, of course. I'm joined here by the producer extraordinaire, the hoodie-wearing extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. we got a good show lined up for you today. It's a tremendous Tuesday. Brett Chancy, our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast, will join us to talk about their latest move in free agency and what they still have on deck They could still be aggressive, maybe go get themselves another left fielder. We'll talk about free agency and more with Brett, who joins us an hour from right now. Then, of course, Coach Dez, fresh off the team getting its sixth win of the season, getting bowl eligible. Now they just wait to find out where they're going to be headed. The man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will join us this morning as well next hour. Then, of course, Jim Gazzolo, the host of the Meanies Coaches Show and the man who covers the Meanies Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press, joins us at 8 o'clock. And Chrissy Freud, college football reporter. She covers the Tulane Green Wave. They're having a magical season, so much so that they're going to be hosting their conference's championship game this coming weekend we'll talk a little green wave football with Chrissy so that's what we got lined up for you this morning four really good guests of course we love to hear from you game hotlines always open 337-706-0111 that's 337-706-0111 and we'll get to Monday Night Football we'll get to our poll question of the day which is about the college football playoff rankings which are released tonight. And who's going to be sitting at the number five spot on the outside looking in. But we're going to start with a little baseball. Astros. Ooh, man. Good deal for them. They get a guy, they get a player that they have coveted in the past and have been unable to get him over the years. And getting the former American League MVP, and they do so on a three-year deal. And this is 
a good deal. Because what this is going to allow the Strohs now to do after signing Jose Abreu to the three-year deal, now they got their slugging first baseman that they coveted that they didn't have. Yuli Gurriel, they love. But A, Yuli's never a slugger, for one. He's a good hitter. But Yuli's also older. And by signing Jose Abreu to a three-year deal, you're going to get yourself a slugger at first baseman, and now you can still bring back Yuli Gurriel, but in a platoon role. You want to give Jose a day off? Boom. Yuli can come in. You want to use Yuli from time to time at DH? There you go. You don't have to make Yuli Gurriel go through the wear and tear of 162 which I think with his advancing age played a role this year where he went from being the batting champion to a guy struggling to hit 250. Now he came up big in the playoffs with timely hitting. But Yuli had lost a step. But by bringing in Jose, you now can have Yuli be a platoon guy, still bring him back maybe on a one-year deal. That's what I've been told is the game plan. And you get your slugging first baseman. Now, Jose is a former American League MVP. He won it in 2020, just a few years ago. Now, he will turn 36 in January. So are you going to get greatness in year number three of the deal? That can be debatable, right? We can debate that. But for a franchise, and in particular an owner, who has made all indications he wants to run this back, that they spent money on Montero in the bullpen to bring him back, that they brought back Dusty Baker on a one-year deal, he wants to win back-to-back. So the Astros are being aggressive, So they're going to spend the money three-year deal for Jose Abreu, who's going to turn 36, because they believe they have a window here to win back-to-back World Series championships. Last team to do that were the Yankees. That's a long time ago. Abreu is second in baseball with 863 RBI since his first season in the majors in 2014. This past year, There was rumors of the Astros trying to trade for him from the Chicago White Sox. Never materialized. He hit 304 on the season. After defecting from Cuba, another Cuban star on the Astros roster. How they approach international players is a key to their success. We've talked about that before. Played all nine seasons with the White Sox after defecting from Cuba. He started off slow. First month, month and a half, he was not very good this past year at Brayu. But then he became one of the best hitters in baseball. 335. Now he hit 15 home runs, which was a career low. That gives some people pause, but here's the thing. He's not going to be counted on to be the number three or even the number four hitter. 
They're just adding another bat to the lineup. A lineup that already has Jose Altuve, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker. You can bring in Abreu and he can be your number six hole hitter. Think about that. A guy who won the MVP in 2020 could possibly be the Astros' number six hitter. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's that's uh, that's a bit of a game changer. And right, he's going to join a lineup that already features fellow Cuban Alvarez, Altuve, Tucker, Bregman, and World Series MVP Jeremy Pena. He's going to replace fellow Cuban Yuli Gurriel as the everyday starting first baseman. Yuli and Jose are considered to be two of the best generational talents from Cuba that both defected out of Cuba to come play in the majors. In 2019, he led the American League with 123 ribbies. That's when the White Sox extended him for three years and $50 million. Over his nine full seasons in the big leagues, all with the White Sox, Abreu hit 292 with 243 home runs and had an adjusted OPS 34% better than the league average. So the Strohs have made two moves this offseason. They re-upped reliever Rafael Montero on a three-year, $34.5 million contract. The Astros' projected payroll is currently in the $175 million range. They've exceeded $187 million each of the previous five seasons, and they're still hoping to sign ace Justin Verlander as well. And they may bring back Michael Brantley Jr., and they may add another bat. They're all in. And Jim Crane is going to probably overspend on a couple guys, and I don't think he cares. He wants to win back-to-back. So you bring in Jose Abreu, who's going to fit into that culture perfectly. Another Latino star, he's just going to come right in. Not a problem. Can they bring back Michael Brantley Jr.? Because remember, he was a great bat in that lineup. But he got injured, missed more than half the year, stayed around as a leader for the team during the playoff, giving them pep talks, taking guys aside, saying, hey, this is how you need to adjust to do this. This is what you need to do. Do you bring him back too? And if you can't bring back Michael Brantley Jr., I expect them to go out there and get themselves another left fielder. They're not done. Bringing back the entire World Series bullpen, check. Signing a slugging first baseman, check. I still think Jim Crane is going to try to bring back Justin Verlander. I still believe they're the front runner for that. I think he wants to bring back Yuli Gurriel as a platoon guy. I think they want to bring back Michael Brantley Jr. And if they can't get Michael Brantley Jr., then they'll go get them another hitting left fielder. It's all in time. They're not celebrating Hey, we won a World Series championship. Now we want to win another. And to do so in modern baseball, you have to be aggressive. You have to make smart moves. So far, they've made two of them. 
both contracts are only three-year deals too, right? They're not handing out massive five, six, seven-year deals here. They're, these are three-year deals. Jim Crane, who's the man signing the checks because there's no GM to stop him. Remember, that still hasn't been resolved. They still don't have a general manager. He's making the decision, three-year contract. Because he believes, based on how all the other contracts are going to be working for the team, they got a three-year window here to win another title. Maybe two. So you go ahead and spend the money. You go ahead and get your payroll nearing $200 million to make that happen. This is a good deal for them. Even if you don't get Jose's home run capabilities from like three or four years ago. Let's say he only gives you 15 to 20 home runs. You're adding yet another bat. Adding yet another bat. Now you're going to have two MVPs on the roster right now in your lineup. Another guy that finished in top five in the MVP voting in Alvarez this year. Another guy that finished as runner-up in MVP in Bregman a few years ago. Once again, you add Jose Abreu, and he may not even be in your top five in your lineup because you already have Altuve, Pena, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. (laughs) And you're adding a guy who won the MVP in 2020 to your lineup, and he may not even be in the top five in your lineup. That's a boss move. I don't care if he's going to be 36. That's a boss move. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's go ahead and add him. I like that. Let's go ahead and do that. Who else is out there? Because they're not going to go after Aaron Judge. They're not going to go after one of those guys that's going to command $300, $400 million. They're not going to do that. Instead, they're going to go after guys they can sign to three-year deals. They can get a good two to three years out of. And that's what they'll do. And they'll probably be in better shape then whoever's going to overpay for Aaron Judge or like who's always overpaid for Mike Trout. Just how it works. We'll talk more about the Astros bringing in Jose Abreu and what moves they still have left in them and what can we expect from them when Brett Chancey joins us from the Locked On Astros podcast. That'll be coming up an hour from right now. But we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Auburn Tigers slash Plainsman slash War Eagle got their coach. Hugh Freeze is coming back to the SEC. We'll talk about that next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, The game wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, $500 Visa gift card. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes presented by Armitar Jewelers. Simply enter into the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $500 Visa gift card. 
It's just that easy. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes powered by Almatar Jewelers in the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Auburn has found their man. Apparently, it came down to Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. Lane Kiffin said, I'll stay at Ole Miss. And the Auburn Tigers, in desperate need of another head coach, have decided to hire yet another former Arkansas State head coach because that's what they do. Hugh Freeze comes to town after being in purgatory at Liberty for four seasons after the scandal that cost him his job at Ole Miss. Now, what are the Tigers getting? Great offensive mind. Great head coach. We forget what he was able to do at Ole Miss before things came off the rails, so to speak. What was he able to do? Well, he beat Nick Saban in Alabama in back-to-back years. 2014-2015. Had Ole Miss win their first Sugar Bowl victory since 1970. Had one of the best offensive minds in college football. So much so that his offensive mentality, and they were able to beat Nick Saban, forced Nick Saban to change how he approached coaching and was able to bring in someone like Lane Kiffin to help modernize Alabama's offense. So the guy was an excellent coach, an excellent recruiter, a great offensive mind. Make no bones about it, whether he was coaching at Arkansas State briefly before taking the Ole Miss job, whatever it may be, and look what he's done at Liberty. He turned his quarterback into a draft pick now that's trying to make it into the NFL. He's even been able to win at Liberty. So you're bringing in a guy with a great offensive mind, a guy that understands the SEC, a guy that understands how to beat Nick Saban great, and he's one of his first things is interim coach and former star running back for the Tigers, Cadillac Williams, who led them to a 2-2 two and two record after taking over when Brian Harson was fired. Well, guess what? He's going to retain him on staff, keep one of the legends on staff. These are all good things. Well, then comes the bad things. He also has, you know, a ton of baggage. Leading up to 2017 preseason practice, he resigned after university officials discovered he had made a series of calls to multiple numbers associated with an escort service in Memphis using a company phone. There it is. Ole Miss was also placed on NCAA probation in 2017 for violations that occurred in part under freeze, and the sanctions included a two-year bowl ban. He was cited by the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions for failure to monitor his assistant coaches and the school's boosters, did not receive a show-calls penalty, and promoted an atmosphere of compliance, according to an NCAA report. So... The 53-year-old comes with some baggage. But you're Auburn. You fired your last two coaches in a span of three years. 
It's a dumpster fire atmosphere over there where boosters and the athletic department and other people with influence have trying with doing power grabs have made that job toxic. So if you're Auburn, this is a great hire because you're going to have to bring in someone that has baggage. That's where you're at right now. You're not going to be able to bring up somebody that is a clean background and has done things the right way and is a dynamic offensive mind. You're going to have to bring in someone like Hugh Freeze that has some baggage with him. And you hope that it doesn't bite you in the tuchus. Remember, this is the same university that hired Bruce Pearl as its men's basketball coach. And that's a man that's left a wake of infractions and violations everywhere he's been. Now, it's worked out so far at Auburn for Bruce. But this is where Auburn's at with their football team, that you're going to have to roll the dice. You're going to have to gamble. And that's what you're going to have to do because you don't have a choice. If you want to be back to any semblance of prominence, you have to take a gamble here and you have to go with Hugh Freeze. Once again, this is a guy that knows how to beat Nick Saban. This is a guy that know that led Ole Miss to its first Sugar Bowl victory since 1970. Guy smart, offensive-minded coach. And now the SEC West alone next year is going to have Nick Saban, Hugh Freeze, Lane Kiffin, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, Mike Leach. <laughs> really? It is tough as all get out in the SEC West, and it just got a little bit tougher for all those involved. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on James to the show who's been patiently waiting. James, appreciate you waiting, bud. What's on your mind this morning? Hey, man, love the take on the you freeze hire, and I was kind of fired up about it as well. You know, these guys – they're all congregating there in the West. It's like everybody's waiting for Saban to punch out because he's in his 70s. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to be kind of the next Saban, right? And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your uh, outlook on life, winning, everybody forgets about, you know, your transgressions. When's the last time you saw a Joey Freshwater meme, right? Oh, there but, it is. But, but I really want to talk about the Pelicans. Uh, I had an unexpected call yesterday from a friend of mine, and I made a thunder run over and got to go to the Pelicans game last night. Oh, nice. You know, told him I was, yeah, I told him I was honored that I was the 12th person that he thought of to call and the first one dumb enough to come. But I really enjoyed it. We had some nosebleed seats up in Section 307. Uh, great game, you know, even with some of the guys out. To see Zion play in person, you know, I kind of got over my Saints hangover. It was Zion's 100th game. You know, I'm fired up about the Pelicans again. Um, you know, they're 12-8. and eight. You know, they historically start off bad. You know, believe it or not, we're a quarter of the way through the NBA season, right? Yeah. They're in third place. Um, you know, I don't know if you've read the article, but ESPN's got a good article about it was Zion's 100th game. You know, he's the first guy in his first 100 games to average 25 points and shoot 60%. And, uh, you know, some other great guys did it at the pinnacle of their career in 100 games, like Charles Barkley, Shaq, Kevin McHale, and Will Chamberlain. So, you know, there's tons of stats. I'm not going to turn into a crazy baseball stat guy and start stating 
them all. But, uh, you know, the Pelicans helped me get over my Saints hangover. There you go, bud. Well, I'm, I'm glad you liked the game. And, uh, yeah, you get to see a win, bud, 105-101. That's a good game. All right, man. Keep keep keep, keep throwing out the, uh, the entertainment in the morning. Appreciate it, brother. We'll Enjoy your day, bud. Bye. Pels, West is wide open. If they can stay healthy, they got a chance because the West is just wide open. You know Phoenix is going to be in the mix, but everyone else, it's up for grabs. I mean, the Pels are 12-8, and which is a good start for them. It's only a few games above 500 at first glance, but everyone's kind of that way right now in the Western Conference. And you look at what they were able to do last night. No Brandon Ingram, couldn't go. No C.J. McCollum, couldn't go. Did it matter? Four of their five starters scored in double figures. Zion gave them 23. Valachunas nearly had a double-double. Trey Murphy knocking down threes, 20 points. Jose Alvarado out there closing out games. Man, he gives them a spark off the bench, doesn't he? He started last night. And then they had four of their five guys off the bench score as well. This team has depth. Does it have enough three-point shooting? Don't know. But for them to be able to start off the season above 500, like they have through the quarter point of the season, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for the Pels. And yeah, they're taking down a Thunder team that is rebuilding. Understood. Understand that. But at this point in the season, you're just trying to be healthy. You're trying to develop team chemistry. And you're just getting wins. And right now, the Pels are in the mix. Good phone call by James. Got to take a timeout. When we return... I know we got more phone calls to get to. We got LSU football to get to. We got a poll question of the day to get to. Stay tuned. It's all coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Poll question of the day. That's right. Got to give it to you. College football playoff rankings will be unveiled tonight. It's the final one before championship weekend. And then they'll have another rankings, obviously, on Sunday. But this one's key because it's all about jockeying for positioning based on who's going to stumble. We know the top three. Well, we know what the top four is going to be now. After last weekend, number two, number five, number eight, and number nine all losing. Excuse me. Which means top four, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. But who's going to be number five? Who's going to be the team that's going to be on the outside looking in? None of them have a chance to win a conference championship. These are going to be four teams that are going to try to get into the playoff without even winning their division. But that's how it's going to base out tonight. Is it going to be Ohio State that got drubbed by Big Blue? Is it going to be Alabama with its two losses? 
Is it going to be Tennessee with its two losses? Is it going to be Penn State with its two losses? Those are likely going to be your five, six, seven, eight programs. If one of the guys falls, let's say TCU gets upset by Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, or USC falls to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Both are unlikely, but weirder things have happened in college football. Who's going to jump up and take their spot? It's all going to depend on who's ranked number five tonight. Right now, 57% of you say Ohio State will be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings. 29% of you say Alabama. 14% say Tennessee. No votes yet for Penn State. Ton on Twitter says, I hate to say it, but Ohio State, if it's Bama, I'd be surprised, strength of schedule or not. I find it hard to believe the committee is going to dismiss Ohio State that easily. However, since the committee seems to adore both those teams, it's a bit of conundrum. That's correct. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, Alabama, they by far have the two best losses. They could very well easily be undefeated. Hart says, as much as it pains me to say it, Bama, some people may call it being SEC biased, but putting Bama and Ohio State's schedules side by side, it's easy to see who's being the more talented teams. Ralph says, Tennessee is 5-1 and one against ranked opponents at the time of that game. Bama 3-2, and two, Ohio State 2-1, and one, Penn State 0-2, oh but the SC loss coupled with Hooker gone for the season will hurt. He shared a gift of get your popcorn ready. I agree. JPK, the OD, says, I hate to say it, but Bama may be sneaking back into this thing since they were ridden off for dead. Their loss to LSU won't look as bad. When LSU shocks the world and rolls them dogs this weekend, TCU and USC will be exposed in their title games. Hashtag LSU's agents of chaos. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter as well. Let's head out to the hotline. Reynolds been patiently waiting. Reynolds, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? Uh, morning, morning, morning. Uh, I was just – I tried to call in yesterday, but time didn't really permit it. But um, I, I think this – I mean, I've never seen uh, the, the chess pieces playing out like they have this year. Uh, I still believe I'm not a fan of Alabama, never never will be. But I tell you what, the NCAA loves some Alabama, and I would not, I would not be surprised if Alabama got in there some way. <laughs> um, that's what because, I've been saying you know, for Ohio weeks. State, I've been saying Ohio it for weeks. State was a, go ahead. I said that's what I've been saying for weeks because the committee loves them, a two-loss team that ne- never fell out of the top ten. So, oh yeah, yeah, you know, well. I mean, Ohio State is the only team in their way. Now, if for some weird reason LSU beats Georgia, Georgia's staying in. Correct. They'll probably be number two. Michigan goes. Michigan is going to beat Purdue. They go to number one. Who's TCU playing in the, in the uh, championship? Kansas State. I I think haven't they already beat them? I'd have to double check the schedule, but I feel like they probably have. I'd have to double I think check. They did. Yeah, I think they throttled them pretty good. Um, so I don't see TCU. The only one I, I see is maybe USC. But I don't see how. I mean, I, I see how, but, you know, Ohio State, I watched that entire game. And they were exposed big time. I don't know if anyone else seen it, but all the big plays, they sold out their defense. And they got burnt every single stinking time. I mean, it was horrific 
how bad the defense because there was no one on the back end. And all you have to do is execute at that point, which they did. Edwards got, what, a 69, 70-yard running game, a couple of bombs, you know. So Ohio State, even though they lost that game, I think would be in. But I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama got in again. Yeah, and the thing, Ronald, to your point, and TCU did beat Kansas State during the regular season, uh, thirty-eight to twenty-eight was back in October, so it was it was a fairly close game. So it, that could still be kind of on on upset special. I also will be interesting to see how the committee ranks such a lopsided loss for Ohio State because they got curb stomped in that second half by Michigan. Alabama lost a couple of close games. How they gonna how they gonna view that? I could see that being something that's going to get debated on who's going to be number five tonight. Yeah. Um, now, I don't I don't think – I think you'd have a lot of people raising their eyebrows if they put Alabama in front of Ohio State because that would tell me that they're just perching them to get in. <laughs> of course. I mean, yes. that would really piss off a lot of people. It would. And that the, would show the favoritism of the NCAA. And the other argument would be Ohio State was just recently number two, right? And – and they only have the one loss. Bama has two, Tennessee has two, Penn State has two. So if if you're just gonna just on on the surface go, okay, well they got one less loss, then that makes sense to put them at five. I think they'll put yeah. them at five, but I think there's gonna be a debate about it, and I think it's gonna be discussed. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Got to let you go. Got someone else trying to call in. Hope you have a great day. All right, you too. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Ron to the show. Ron, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? A uh, long time listening, first time calling. Thanks, thanks for taking the call. But um, anytime, just to uh, put a put a, a spin on this, and then uh, how ironic how ironic this situation is. A few weeks ago, we were pulling for Bama to beat Ole Miss. I'm assuming Bama is going to be pulling for LSU to beat Georgia Saturday, and I'm just thinking <laughs> we're, we're, we're rivals, and and the situation's got us pulling for each other now. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's it's funny how it all works out, doesn't it? It's funny how yeah. that kind of works out. But I, th- I, uh, what I do think is going to happen. Look, I, I feel, I, I think whoever's going to be five tonight, it, it may not matter because look, if TCU wins and USC wins, they're in, right? So it, it, it's you know, Bama will go to the Sugar Bowl or go to the Orange Bowl, and that'll be their consolation prize, and we'll see how many players actually play in the bowl game. That's not for a playoff. Right, you know, they've been they've been known to have guys decide. Ah, I, I'm not going to play. Same thing with Ohio State. But I'm going to be interesting to see how it boils down tonight and if how much they're going to punish because Tennessee, if you remember, was number one, and when they lost their first game, they dropped all the way to number five. That's great. So, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. Ohio State suffers its first loss, and it was a curb stomping just like Tennessee suffered at the hands of Georgia. Are they going to punish Ohio State as much? Or is it going to be like, well, they're not in the top four anymore, but they still have to be ranked higher than a couple of two-loss teams. I'm interested to see what the committee does tonight. I I will, too. Um, And just to add it out, I think everybody's going to be watching – TCU and Kansas State, I think that's the, uh, the <laughs> key game right there. Oh, absolutely. And that 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 may be the best game of the championship games of the weekend, the most competitive, the one that's going to – the one that people are going to watch out for the most. Because, look, 
Kansas State has a history of being spoiler. Remember back in 2003, they upset Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. Now, that still kept Oklahoma to play LSU for the national title. But remember K-State, Darren Sproles and those boys, they upset Oklahoma in that Big 12 championship game. So they would love nothing more than to upset TCU's season. That's for sure. Appreciate the phone yeah. call, Ron. Have a great day, bud. Thanks. Uh, you have a good one, too. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Josh to the show. Josh, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Real quick, um, if LSU loses to Georgia, they'll have the same record as South Carolina. Correct. And South Carolina, South Carolina uh, just beat Tennessee, and so people are using that as a sounding board on why Tennessee shouldn't be ranked higher than Alabama. But if I look at it this way, Tennessee beat LSU handily, and they beat Alabama. There you go. And LSU beat Alabama. So how is Tennessee not going to be ranked higher than Alabama when when they have the head-to-head matchup and their their common opponents are no worse or any better than the other? And I'm not an LSU hater by any means, but LSU outside of Alabama hasn't really beat anybody who's stayed ranked or is high. So I don't understand how Tennessee is getting snubbed. And that's just what I want to say, and I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate the phone call, Josh. And, yeah, that that's – that's an interesting point because Tennessee beat Alabama. Tennessee whooped LSU. Right? They did. Now, they didn't fall out of the top 10 even though they've lost Hooker. And we know the committee puts an emphasis on if you're losing star guys. They've even said that before. But you could make an argument, a legitimate argument about Tennessee. Because they did bounce back and yeah, they crushed poor Vandy, poor Vanderbilt. They were trying to be bowl eligible and Tennessee was like, nah, we're going to beat you by 50 and shut you out. But thanks for selling tickets for your last home game. But the loss now to South Carolina also doesn't look as bad because the Gamecocks are in the mix for the Citrus Bowl just like LSU is, right? They're 8-4. and four. So, or nine and four. So they're right there in the same boat. And with South Carolina knocking off Clemson, the loss doesn't look as bad. So you can make an argument for Tennessee as well, rightfully so, because also Tennessee won the head to head with Alabama. You know, this is kind of the nightmare scenario for the committee. What would be the easiest thing for them to have to deal with? What they're hoping for is that it's all chalk, right? They don't have to worry about making tough decisions. Just have Georgia beat LSU, have Michigan crush Purdue, have TCU beat Kansas State, and have USC beat Utah. And now your top four set, boom, ha, ah, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. And just have Alabama and Tennessee figure out who's going to go to the Orange Bowl to play Clemson and who's going to go to the Sugar Bowl. Because that's all what all the projections have. So great New Year's Six Bowl game for either Tennessee or Alabama. They'll both get one. One will be in the Sugar. The other one will be in the Orange. And there you go. And Ohio State can go to the Rose Bowl and have 10 players to opt out because they're preparing for the NFL draft. I would expect the same thing for Alabama, too. And that's what I'll have to be. That's what the committee would like to happen. But if things don't go smoothly, if something happens this coming weekend where one of those teams is upset, I expect USC to beat Utah.
because their lone loss was to Utah. So I think they're going to beat them in the rematch. And they're far better than they were when they faced Utah earlier in the season. They're trending upward. So I think USC takes care of business fairly easily. The game to watch, (coughs) of course, is TCU-K-State. But I'm interested to see who's going to be number five tonight. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk a little LSU here from Brian Kelly. That's next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Not really. I mean, structure defensively is very similar. I mean, you know, certainly the the personnel is different, but structure is the same. You you, you know what you're going to get offensively. Um, they're a little bit different with Coach Monken. He's, you know, he's got a creative bend to him that's a little bit different than what they had in 17 and 19. Um, but, you know, there's, there's similarities there that, uh, you know, we take as a crossover more than anything else. And, again, this is then this, – this then becomes, you know, how do you handle, like, you know, Brock Bowers, you know, how do you handle some of the matchup situations that, that you have to deal with? The quarterback is totally different. And, you know, I, I think, you know, structure is one thing in terms of knowing what the structure looks like. But then you have to game plan against individuals. Yeah, Brock Bowers is going to be a problem for LSU. They got to figure out how to handle him. The star tight end who's really a glorified wide receiver but an unstoppable force for Georgia's passing attack. Stinson Bennett loves throwing him the football. How is LSU going to even remotely defend that big fella? I'm not for sure. Because A&M attacked the middle of LSU's defense on Saturday. It was a little soft there. I'd expect to see a lot of Brock Bowers attacking the middle of LSU's defense. That, of course, is Brian Kelly talking about gearing up for the championship game against Georgia over in Atlanta, and he was asked, you know, anything you can take from playing George in the past, and he kind of told you, not really, because they've kind of changed how they do things, and, you know, every season is different. He did give us, though, an update on Jane Daniels, who suffered uh, uh, an ankle sprain, an ankle injury in Saturday's loss at Texas A&M, and this is what he had to say about the status of his star quarterback. Yeah, so he's been evaluated. He's in a walking boot. Uh you know, we'll keep him in that boot today, and then tomorrow he'll go in for his exam. And really, this is about, you know, strength. Um, you know, he'll go on the Alter G today, so he'll run uh, with no, obviously, uh, force and keep him conditioned even through today, which is a weight training and film study day. And then uh, tomorrow he'll go through a manual exam where uh, effectively he's got to be able to get up on his toes. You know, if he's able to do that, um, then we're ready. So we're going to find out if Daniels can even go. They're hopeful, but there is some doubt there for the LSU Tigers. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two. We're going to kick it off with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, 
Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros spending money. What? What? After locking up one of their own, securing the World Series bullpen intact, giving Rafael Montero, as soon as free agency began, a three-year deal, things have been quiet. That was until yesterday. Jose Abreu, the former American League MVP who spent his entire nine-season Major League Baseball career with the Chicago White Sox, a guy that the Astros have tried to get before but have been able, unable to do so, were able to lock up the soon-to-be 36-year-old with a three-year contract. That gives them a slugging first baseman. But what do they do next? Do they still try to bring back Yuli Gurriel as a platoon guy? Do they try to add another outfielder? Maybe Michael Brantley Jr. can come back. And what do we think about JV? Is Verlander all but gone? taking interviews, being wined and dined by the likes of the Mets and the Dodgers. To break it all down for us is the man who's co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast, our friend Brett Chancey joins us. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing good. I was in the same boat that most Astros fans have been in. What are the Astros going to do? And with Jim Crane, if he's the acting GM, is that a good thing? And, well, apparently, so far, so good. Jose Abreu, a great signing, 311 with runners in scoring position for his career. He's a man in the community, does a, does a great charitable work in Chicago. This guy fits right in. The Cuban connection, I love it. But like you said, there are still questions that have to be answered. Well, let's start with Jose. This is a guy that they've coveted before were unable to, to trade for him at last year's trade deadline, even though there were some rumors that they were looking into it. They were able to make the deal done now. You talked about 311 with runners in scoring position. This is a guy who's a former league MVP, but he is 36. But on the same hand, Brett, the deal's only for three years. So if you're Jim Crane, you're trying to win now. You're trying to win back-to-back and maybe win another one. Kind of makes sense that it's only a three-year deal for the former Cuban star. It does, and there are some people begrudging a little bit. They're like, hey, so we're replacing an aging first baseman with another aging first baseman, but this guy's played 94% of the games that he's been able to play in since he started with the White Sox. He's by far the one of the top five hitters in Chicago White Sox club history in their 120-plus year history, and you get a guy that not only hits with runners in scoring position, but if you look at all his all his like you know his weighted on base his weighted on base average his expected numbers they're all top two or three percent in the league. This guy does not swing and miss very much. He's a contact guy, and yes, his home runs did come down. He only hit 15 last year. But if you go look for interviews for what he talked about, he took the same approach that Altuve took. He wanted to go for a higher OPS. He wanted to go for more contact. And so he can spray the ball around the field. He's kind of a first-base version, I guess, of Michael Brantley. I mean, this guy hit 304 last year, and he is very good, like you said, former MVP. I think they couldn't have gone to a better place than with Jose Abreu. I think it's better than 
Rizzo. Rizzo had back issues. And I don't know, Christian Walker, you would have had to trade it for him, but he's not near the bat. Now, his glove is not great, but he's zero outs above average versus Yuli's negative outs above average. So it's an upgrade. It's it's an upgrade for them. But this also does not mean that they're not going to have Yuli Gurriel, right? There's some talk and there's some belief that they're going to still be able to bring him back maybe on a one-year deal and let him be a platoon guy. What's the likelihood of that happening? Because they are both were Cuban stars together, even kind of rivals, before they defected Cuba to come play in the big leagues, both Yuli and Jose. What's the likelihood that they could keep both of them? You know, I think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that Yuli is at a stage in his career where his market value says he's worth 15 or $16 million, but no one's going to pay that realistically. And Yuli is the type of player that I could see easily saying, okay, look, I'll take on a mini-utility role. I haven't played a lot of third or second in a while, but I can slot in every 10 or 12 games maybe to give Bregman a rest. You know, you could give him a platoon-type situation where you give a Abreu some games off here or there because you want to keep him healthy. I think the Astros easily can get Yuli on a really decent salary because of what he means to the clubhouse, because of what it would mean to have him playing with Abreu. I mean, a former MVP and a former Gold Glover platooning at first base, and a lot of people say, well, you're going to waste a roster spot if you bring on Yuli and he's not playing every game. Yeah, but he's also 39. So he's not going to go anywhere else and get a massive salary. There's not a contending team that's looking for a first base or has a major first base need that Yuli, I think, would fill. So I think it lines up for the Astros to do something team-friendly and keep him here for a year and then transition into a role where you would be a mentor to Cuban, to a Cuban pipeline that continues to come through Houston. Let's talk about Michael Brantley Jr. because here's a guy that was one of the better bats in their lineup, gets injured, misses more than half the season, but we find out afterwards he was a key part of that postseason run, developing guys, talking to guys, mentoring them, serving as a leader in the clubhouse behind the scenes. I know they would like to keep him, but what's the likelihood that they're going to be able to bring Brantley Jr. back and have that pop and another bat in that lineup, and a guy that can also play left field. I think Brantley, I think the advantage for the Astros is that Brantley loves the Houston Astros organization. And I think that coming off his injury, it's going to, you're going to, it's going to have to be after spring training until I think he'll be able to really take reps and play. You, you've got to see the guy throw. You've got to see if he can still hit. That obviously has to be there. But I don't see any other club taking a chance on him in that way. Brantley, um, if you look at the numbers and you kind of try to project out the numbers, with the Brayu, the Astros score at least around 38 to 40 runs more on the season overall. And with Brantley, they score about 50 to 60 more with Brantley and Abreu. So if they can get Brantley healthy, and they can get him on a contract that I think the team would be able to sign. I, I really think the Astros are in the driver's seat for both him and Yuli. Then Brantley comes back. He doesn't have to play every single day. He can DH. Um, it sounds like Jordan is going to be set for playing just about every single game in left field. I think bringing Brantley back is a, is a good thing. And 
it may be cheaper than going out and getting some of these other left-handed bats that are out there still. Brett, let's say you don't get Michael Brantley Jr. Let's say he goes elsewhere, he gets a better deal, and it comes down to a financial decision. You know, you guys ask this with the podcast, you know, what if you can't get Brantley? What if – who else is out there? Joey Gallo? I mean, I know he strikes out a lot. He could maybe be an option. Uh, Corey Dickerson. Who are some of the other guys that the Astros could target to sign to bring in? Yeah, I, you know, in, in the more I looked at Joey Gallo, I, I just uh, – unless you could fix his swing, I know the shift's going to be banned and stuff, but Gallo may be too much of a reclamation project for the Astros with where they are. Budget-wise, he would fit. But um, Andrew Benatendi, who I think is going to garner a little bit bigger salary than what people are giving him credit for, he's a good contact guy. He's a left-handed hitter. Um, I was looking at I was looking at names this morning like Romeo Tapia, Corey Dickerson, like you mentioned, guys that aren't big, sexy names, guys that aren't going to wow you, but they get you where they need you. And would a Tapia be better in a – in a protected lineup would, you know, a lot of the left-handed outfielders honestly are up there in age, you know, AJ, AJ Pollock's 34. He's, he's a right-hander. Um, David Peralta's 35. You know, I really like jerks and profile, but he's not a left-handed bat. I think to, to take left field or to take that DH spot over, they're going to look for a bat. Now there is some talk, of could we bring in Contreras and just make him a DH, okay? Would he be that guy? I just think that he still commands too much of a salary. So there are other options out there, Alex Dickerson. But after you talk about those guys, there's not much. You know, you don't want to look at a Dominic Smith. You don't really know what you're going to get with him. But Tapia makes financial sense. Ben Attendee, can you get him? I mean, his value is pretty stinking high right now. Um, I think it's like $21 million. I don't think they're going to pay him that. They've got options. And um, remember, we've also got guys like David Hensley in this lineup. Um, you've got Pedro Leon. If he emerges at some point in the season, you could move Chas McCormick to left, but Pedro Leon in center field. So it's not a total wash, but I think there are some, some guys you can get out there that have decent value and would give you a decent bat if you can't bring back Brantley. We're talking with Brett Chancy, co-host of Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Lots and lots of chatter about a former villain to the Astros possibly joining the Astros. I'm going to ask you about the man that is getting a lot of run right now about being possibly coming to the Astros, and that's Cody Bellinger. What do you make of that talk, and is that something that seems to be legitimate to you? So it it was legitimate there for a while. Now, I just um, – someone someone I talked to that is that is um, close, to, close to the team told me yesterday that the Cody Bellinger thing was a legitimate thing for the Astros to consider, but that for whatever reason it had lost traction, okay? But one of the things I was reminded of yesterday and what everybody needs to think about during this free agency period, no matter what team you're a fan of, okay, I know everybody's not Astros fans, is you will hear reports 
you will hear the team has reached out to player X. The team has reached out to player Y. That reaching out could simply be the GM text the agent of the player and said, we're interested in your guy. Or it could be a three-minute phone call. Um, Chandler Rome said, look, you know, I've got Scott Boris's number in my phone because I contact him to talk to players. And I could literally talk to him for a minute, and I could say Chandler Rome reached out to Scott Boris. Well, all it means is I called him. So Cody Bellinger, some people say we could fix him and all that stuff, but this is the world champion Astros. This is a team that he badmouthed really bad. And I'm sure as professionals, the players would get over it. They would welcome in the clubhouse. But I think it would be a PR disaster for the Astros to go after Cody Bellinger because of the vitriol. I think if there's someone like a Turner or someone like that from that Dodgers team, it might be a little different. But Cody Bellinger, let someone else fix him, not the Astros. How will Astro fans feel if two teams that were very at the forefront of bashing the Astros and calling them cheaters and saying that they stole a World Series end up signing Justin Verlander, who was part of the same World Series team that beat the Dodgers and beat the Yankees that postseason? You know, I I really think his, his two most likely landing spots is Los Angeles Dodgers or the Mets if he doesn't sign with the Astros. And um, from what I'm hearing, Astros fans are like, you know what? Well, okay, JV, I guess it was a good run. I think he's done so much good here that they're like, you know what? He's 40. He may be getting 40-plus million. You can't begrudge a man for going and getting that bag, as they say. And so, I mean, if he goes to the Dodgers, it's fine. We'll just beat him when they beat us in the World Series. I mean, if he goes to the Mets, we'll just beat him when we go to the World Series. You know, bottom line is that Justin Verlander wants to win a World Series next year. He needs to be a Houston Astro. Do you believe they get a deal done, or do you think JV's out the door? The likelihood is less and less. Now, this is more of a Justin Verlander has to meet the Astros where they are than the Astros have to meet Justin Verlander. And the reason why I say that, the Astros are not going to pay him 40 million. If they do, I will be shocked. Okay? Um, they, from what I understand, Crane doesn't want to go over 36 and doesn't want to go for more than two years. The Dodgers are entertaining a third year in a very high AAV. I just think Justin Verlander, he, he fits in L.A., his wife's in L.A., his brother's in L.A., if they want to pay him that money. But we've seen the Dodgers do this, and they sign these big names, and it's not yielded them any, ti- any more titles because all that stuff was after 2020, so they haven't done anything with it. Um, I think the Astros are standing pat, and they're going to let Verlander test the market. If J.B. doesn't get what he wants, he's going to come back because he said he wants to win. He said that's his top priority. I'm like, okay, then stay in Houston. What's $4 million? You got a hundred and something million from us anyways. You got 66 for sitting. So don't you kind of owe us another year for 25, <laughs> jokingly, but um, I think he's got to meet the Astros where they're at. I don't think they're going to go to him. And I also think playing a role in this, yeah, he says he wants to win, okay? But he's won now his second World Series championship. He finally won a World Series game. He came back from Tommy John, wins the Cy Young, wins the Comeback Player of the Year. But he's also 40 years old. Now he's going to have a chance to get that last big contract 
you know, he says he wants to win, but let's be real. This is his last chance to get a mega contract and to make more money than his wife. He's probably leaning towards money. Um, let's be honest. Yeah, no. And, you know, look, when a player tells you it's not about the money, I just, I just don't. I, I can't, it's usually about the money. I can't believe that. I'm like, I'm like look, I, I get the sentiment. I get where, like, players go with that. Of course, you and I, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm pretty sure you make the big bucks. I'm pretty sure you got, like, a multi-million dollar contract there. But I've never seen that kind of money. And my thing is, like, what's four million? Like, why wouldn't you want to keep winning? Like, isn't it about titles? Isn't it about championships? Isn't it about what you brought to a club? Because Justin Berlander has meant so much to this baseball team, not just on the field, but off the field. And, you know, we'd hate to see him go. But this team is so good that even if he leaves, we're still the favorite in the American League, and we're still one of the top two teams to that are projected to win the World Series. So if, if you go, JV, it's been great. We'll do a tribute video when you come back to Minute Maid, but we're going back to the World Series. And you prove that you can go to a World Series without JV. So That's true. That's an excellent point. There you go. Brett, appreciate your time as always, brother. Uh, keep up the tremendous work, and we'll talk to you soon as soon as some more news comes out about the Strohs, more free agent news. Appreciate the time, bud. Yeah, definitely. And, hey, um, if everybody would go to YouTube, we interviewed Jeremy Pena's uh, college coach this last week, Steve Tremper. He's now at Stetson University, especially if you have a baseball player that's looking to play the next level from high school to college. He talks about what college coaches look for. It's a really great interview coming in December. we got Ryan Stanek. We've got others that will be coming on throughout the offseason, and we just got some fun things planned. Even though there's not baseball, you got locked on Astros. Remember, we're your team every day. Go Strohs. Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast joining us there. We got to take a timeout when we return. Coach Dez, Louisiana Raging Cajuns football talk. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. 180! Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you doing? Hey, Raymond, I'm good this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, backs are against the wall. You have to go on the road in conference play and get a win and not only do you do so, you do so in convincing fashion. How proud are you of the effort and the execution that your team displayed there in San Marcos to get to win number six? Oh, man. Um, I, I don't really, you know, it's hard to kind of explain it, you know, because, you know, the biggest, I think the most important thing when you get to that point in the year is, is you have to have a team that's still motivated. I know it sounds weird, like, you know, people would say, well, I mean, certainly they'd be motivated, right? They've got a a bowl game on the line, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, it's not always like that. You know, you got some teams, you got a lot of guys sometimes that are kind of ready to move on. And, um, you know, the, the key to the whole thing is that you got to have a team that, that wants to go out there and they're hungry to play. And, you know, our guys are certainly that. They practiced well all week. Um, and I knew if we just went out and played well that, you know, we, we would have a pretty good day. And I was, I was tremendously proud of them. Uh, 
you know, said it before, this this year certainly hadn't been easy for them as a group. And um, they've just kind of taken it all in stride and just continued to work and, and focus on the things that we could control and, and make better. And, and they've done that all year. You know, you guys dealt with injuries uh, in the offseason and throughout the year, and it, it maybe took a little bit longer for your team to gel and come together than you had anticipated or fans had anticipated. But, you know, what we saw down the stretch against Georgia Southern and against Texas State definitely shows what the potential of this team is and what the potential of this team can be moving forward next year and the year after. Right, Coach? Yeah, I mean, I certainly feel that way. You know, we were, uh, <clears throat> you know, going into the season, I, you know, we we as coaches knew that that we'd have our work cut out for us in some areas. You know, I mean, we certainly knew what, what we were, you know, kind of the pieces that we were missing, and we kind of knew the challenges in the building that, you know, maybe outsiders didn't know that were, that were kind of, that were happening every day, you know, with guys that were out and trying to build some continuity and, and things like that. But, um, you know, the the, the, the whole – the whole deal with it is that we had plenty, we had a lot of opportunities, right, to get some more wins along the way and for some things to work out a little bit better, <clears throat> but they didn't. And, you know, the thing that we talked to our players about is that I mean, if, you, if you keep looking in the rearview mirror and all you're doing is worrying about the what-ifs and talking about if this would have happened, then you're going to miss what's ahead of you. And, you know, I do think early in the year, I think it kind of got us a little bit, to be honest with you. We were kind of, you know, we hadn't lost in a long time and it was – you know, it was a little unfamiliar for us. And, um, you know, you kind of let one loss turn into two and then, you know, three in a row. And then, you know, then you're kind of off kilter a little bit. So I think our kids did a really good job as, as the year went on of just refocusing, recentering. Let's, let's work on the next one. Let's go find a way to win the next game. And, um, and, and I think that helped us play much better down the stretch. Um, you know, I think the toughest part of our schedule was in the back half of the, of the scheduling for sure. And, um, you know, and our players, I thought, did a really good job of just continuing to move forward. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, every game that you play, whether you win or you lose, you got to pull the things out of it that are going to help you win the next one. And, um, and that's just, you know, that's kind of been our focus, you know, since the middle of the year, whenever we kind of hit a little skid, it was like, okay, you know, what can we fix that's going to help us in the next one? And then our players have done a great job of, you know, taking to that coaching, taking to that, uh, that philosophy and just making it work. Offensive line, we've talked about it before, but I want to just touch on it again. You know, Rubio can't go against Florida State, yet you have him back. When this line is healthy, it makes all the difference in the world for this offense. And I know fans and, and, and folks sometimes get so focused on the play of the quarterback or the running backs and, you know, what's going on with the offense. But really, it all starts up front. If you got guys that can play up front and are healthy up front, it has a trickle-down effect, so to speak, a domino effect, Coach. And sure enough, we, we saw it again on Saturday. Healthy offensive line out there, playing to their potential, makes all the difference in the world. Well, there's no doubt. I, I mean, and I think, you know, I, I think the thing that people, you know, we say it all the time, you know, they love to talk about quarterback play. And, like, that's the – and I get it. Like, that's the most, you know, publicized position, right, all that stuff. But – there's a lot of things that go into a quarterback playing really well, you know, and the O-line playing well, the receivers playing well, you know, the tight ends. Are, I mean, 
as everyone else elevates their game, it helps the quarterback to play better. You know, and the quarterback's that guy that always gets too much blame and too much credit, you know, whether it's really good or really bad. Um, but for us, you know, I mean, our foundation here and, and what we truly believe in is that you've got to run the football and you've got to do it effectively. And whenever we're able to do that, you know, as the year's going on, we've run the ball much better as the year's going on. And I think it, it's helped everyone. It's helped the receivers. It's helped the quarterbacks. Um, certainly it helps the running backs when you play better up front. But um, that offensive line has just continued to improve all year. And, um, you know, I think when you got all those guys healthy and ready to go, we're a lot better. Certainly Carlos Rubio's played a lot of snaps and he plays good ball when he's in there. Um, but I do know that we've been able to develop, you know, some really good depth this year because, you know, some of those guys have been forced into playing a little bit more than than they were, you know, whatever supposed to or, or we wanted to in the beginning. Um, and, you know, the truth is that it's going to be good for us in the long run. Let's talk about your your quarterback being put back out there. I, you and I talked about this. I thought him keeping his composure and putting together some touchdown drives late against Florida State would be beneficial for his confidence heading into the regular season finale. And sure enough, he put together a pretty good game plan. What what do you make of what you've seen from Chandler from the beginning of the year when he was the starter to now being the starter yet again and coming in and helping you guys get a win on the road? How about Chandler Fields, huh? I mean – was that not unbelievable to see that guy go out there and play that way for his team? Um, yeah, God, man, I, I thought he played really, really well. Um, I think he missed one throw in the game. You know, that the, the, the first third down of the game, on third down, he was a little bit high and behind the corner out. Other than that, you know, I know he threw the interception. He just never saw the backside safety coming. You know, those things, it, it happens. You know, it's play action. He turned his back. He thought it was quarters. Safety got some depth, didn't see it. Um, you know, that's going to happen every now and then, and we were trying to be aggressive and, and trying to put it away. Um, but, I mean, I, I thought I thought the kid was phenomenal. Um, you know, Chandler ran the ball really well, um, which is something that, you know, he's got to do. I think that's part of his game that helps him and allows him to play really well. Um, and he did a really good job of that, picking his spot. Um, he didn't force it, but when it was there, he took them. Um I felt like he did a good job distributing the football. You know, he made the easy throws make look easy, which I know sounds silly, but it's a, it's a it's a real thing. You know, make the easy ones easy, make them run after catch opportunities. Um, so I, I was I was really pleased with him and proud of him. I mean, I think that that Chandler's come so far and just his maturity this year. You know, he's a uh, he, he's got a lot of energy. He's kind of a little bit of a bouncing ball sometimes, and. Um, you know, I've I've just seen him and noticed that he's been able to kind of harness it and and use it in a positive way. Where you know, in the in the past, I think sometimes he could get distracted a little bit um, just because he's I mean, he's got energy, like positive, good energy all the time. And sometimes you gotta you know you gotta be able to take a deep breath and kind of you know uh, I guess handle it a little bit and kind of harness it and, and use it to your advantage. And you know, in this last last couple of games against Florida State and against uh, Texas State. I mean, he was on the sideline. He was locked in. He's seen it as good as he's ever seen it. You know, um, and I think that's part of it. You know, he's kind of learned how to communicate what he's seen on the field to us, and it's accurate information. You know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. You're trying to piece the information together that I see, 
that he sees and what the press box sees. So you're trying to piece all those things together um, to put a good picture together on the sideline so you can continue to make adjustments. And that, that's where I think he's taken a huge step forward um, and, and done a really good job for us. You get to six wins. You know you're going to a bowl game. You just don't know which one it is. A couple of different you know, opportunities. You guys are going to get that invite. So what are you doing with the guys this week? Obviously, nothing will nothing will be finalized, Coach, until Sunday. It will be made official then. So what are you doing with the team? Are you guys practicing? How are you attacking this week, waiting to figure out which bowl game you guys are going to be going to? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to practice. Um, you know, one of the biggest advantages you have when you get a bowl game is the extra practices you get for your team. So, you know, for us um, – you know, you got to kind of find that fine line. You know, you, you need to practice the veterans as well, you know, those older guys, because you want to go play good. You want to go win a bowl game, right? You don't want to just sit around and, and flop around. So you got to find the right balance for them um, to get enough work to be ready to go. But for us, you know, especially this week, before you really know who you're playing or where you're playing or when you're playing, um, we're, we're excited about getting to work with this second and third group that we have. Um, these young guys that we think are going to be really good football players. And unfortunately, you know, the way it works during the season is, you know, some of those young guys, they end up on scout team and you don't really get to coach them a whole lot um, because they're down there on the other side of the field and they're working on scout team. And, and you know, you, you see them every day and, and you, you know, certainly you, you're still talking to them, but you don't really get your hands on Indy with them and, and, and really coach them in the trenches like you would in spring ball or like we can this week. So um, for our starters, you know, we're not going to give them a ton of reps. There's going to be a lot of indie, a lot of fundamental work. Make sure we're doing that stuff. They're going to get the amount of reps we feel like they need um, to stay sharp. And then our young guys are going to get to go and hook it up a little bit. So we're going to go uh, three days this week, um, kind of try to keep that, 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 that sword sharp a little bit. Next week is finals week. So, Certainly next week we, we don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be practicing on days that we've got finals and things like that. So I'll always kind of work around the final schedule that they have. Um, so we'll probably get a couple days in next week, and then after that, you know, we'll be we'll be pretty close to to wherever we're going. So even if you play in one of those early bowls on the you know 16th, 17th, you could still get a couple of days in next week that are still a little bit more focused on your team. And then start your prep towards the end of that week, or the you know, or the uh, beginning of the weekend. Well, Coach, congratulations on getting bowl eligible. Congratulations on getting that in your first year, and kind of keeping uh, these guys positive and keep pushing them. And uh, you guys are now going to have another opportunity to play another game, get above five hundred, get win number seven in year number one. Appreciate your time as always, and see you on Sunday when. Everything gets revealed and gets becomes official, so to speak, on Sunday, Coach. I appreciate it, Raymond. We're, we're uh, I'm I'm proud of these kids, and I'm I'm excited for them. So we're gonna go try to get go get win number seven this year and try to finish on a high note. There you go. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. That's Coach Des, man in charge of Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Good conversation with him as always. We got to take a timeout when we return. We'll update that poll question of the day. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the World Cup is back, and you can watch thrilling action on Delta Media's Telemundo Lafayette, free over the air on KLWB Channel 50.3 and Cox Channel 19. For our Lake Charles folks, not to worry, World Cup fans can watch on Telemundo Lake Charles free over the air on Channel 19.2 and Suddenlink Channel 137. That's thrilling World Cup action right here on Delta Media. Team USA plays this afternoon, 1 o'clock. They're taking on Iran. They need to win. A win, they move on to the next round, out of the group stage. A loss or a draw, well, the most talented U.S. men's soccer team in a generation will, well, they'll be going home early. They'll be watching the World Cup just like you and I on Telemundo. Lafayette or Lake Charles. It has begun. It's begun five names. Christmas tree. It has begun. Now, I am an old school traditionalist. We do not put up the tree before Thanksgiving. You let Turkey Day have its moment in the sun. But then afterwards, you put up the tree. So I got back from College Station on Sunday. Shout out to holiday traffic and accidents on Interstate 10. I thought my drive back home from College Station that took six hours was long. Poor foot went to San Marcos. It took them nine hours to get back because everyone was coming back home because of the holiday weekend. But got the tree down. Now, do we have it decorated yet? No. Because we're going big this year in the parts household. My wife, Tina, she loves the tree to be like a department store tree. You ever go to like a nice department store and they have this beautiful tree? It's perfect. It's decorated. It feels like something you can't even touch. It looks like it comes out of a magazine. You see yeah. those trees? Yeah, you like have to like have measurements of like where they all go. So everything it's like is, you know, everything superb. Is, is superb. It looks like. A professional Christmas tree stylist has designed the tree. Mm-hmm. That's what the wife likes. That's what the wife gets passionate about. Now, I am on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. I like homemade ornaments. I like cartoon characters. I like big, adorable, fat Santas, right? So we have very different ways of wanting to attack the tree. But over the last couple years, I've just said, you know what? The wife, this is what she wants. And she gets excited about decorating for Christmas. And we're going to do it early this year. So I got down the tree. We carved out a space, cleaned up the whole nine yards. Well, I already set up the nativity scene on Sunday as well on our mantle. And I got the Christmas tree up. Now we're going to decorate it tonight. That's the game plan. But here's the game changer of it all. 
we got a baby Christmas tree for Hattie. So this is going to be the first year that we're going to have the big Christmas tree decorated like it's out of a Macy's catalog. And then we're going to have the smaller tree for the kiddo. And that's where the Disney ornaments are going to go. That's where the handmade ornaments are going to go. So we get to have the best of both worlds. The baby girl tree and the mama tree. And daddy's going to be happy both ways. Because the wife is going to be happy because she's going to have the tree decorated. Like we got the ornaments and special little protecting things. Yeah, all of ours are gone. We, we only have um, our two handmade ones from Christmas last year that I made. That he doesn't remember that I didn't make those. And the ones you get at, like, the mall where you, like, pick out the ones that have, like, you know, for us, it would be just him and I. And you get the person to, like, put your name and the year on it. We do it every year. I do it every year at my, my aunt's, my stepmom's house. So now we're doing it here. But do you have those kind of ornaments? We have or just the special ornaments? We have fancy ornaments. Yeah, I got we, we fancy ornaments in, it, in, the, in its own tote, and then there's the rest of the ornaments. And, like, I have ornaments from when I was a kid that was handed down to me by my parents or my grandparents. So... We'll have a space for everything. We got, we have way too many ornaments. But this year, there's no compromise. This year, there's no, okay, that's fine. Let's do the tree. The wife gets the tree that she wants, decorated the way she wants it to be decorated, because I set it up. I bring it down out of the attic. That's my job. And I put it together, and then she fluffs the tree, because it has to be done a certain way. It has to be done a certain way. And I just sit back and say, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. Then we're going to put up the kid tree. So we're going to have both trees. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to put up the village. The wife's all excited about that because she wants to build different levels using milk crates. So she is all about Christmas. So that's what we're rocking in the household. We're going to have two trees. First time ever, two trees. We're going to be a two-tree household. Wife's going to have a tree. Baby girl's going to have a tree. Tina tree, Hattie tree, and then... Daddy's just going to sit back drinking hot cocoa, being happy, up in the recliner looking at both glorious trees. Yeah, I, I, we, have to, we have to go get ornaments um, because... How do you not have ornaments? So the way we, we were storing them at the apartment is that they were sitting on top of the dryer because always we actually have them to where they could all fit. And so that's where they were staying. And then the dryer went crazy one time and the ornaments all fell backwards behind the dryer. And like crashed, so we have no ornaments left, but the special ornaments. So like our three from the mall ornaments, the two from I may be able to take care handmade, and then the one I got for graduation. We have bought extra ornaments that haven't even been put on a tree before. <laughs> so I will. You hold off on going and spending money on ornaments. I okay. will get with the 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 wife. My better half, and because I'm fairly for certain we have leftover ornaments that we haven't even bought because sometimes we'll buy them on sale because she yeah. likes to, uh, ultimately, we want to get to the point where there's a different theme with the tree every year. So oh. one year it'll be blue and silver. Shout out to my, okay. to, 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 to people that love the, the blue and silver, a very Jewish kind of color scheme for, yes. for Christmas. Oh, or she wants to go with like a, a more rustic feel to it. Or something like that. So we may have extra ornaments that the wife we have never used or doesn't want anymore, and they can go to a good home, and that home will be yours. How about that? Okay. There Sounds we go. good. Yeah, my, my, my Nana's tree is always Disney princesses. Like, 
the entire, like, every princess there is in Disney, that's how my grandma's tree is set up, and it rotates, like, on its nice. own. Nice. Oh, yeah. We used to have tinsel and the little, like, sick ornaments we got. <laughs> so, we'll be decorating the tree tonight. That's the proper time to uh, put up your decorations is after Thanksgiving. It's yeah. always Thanksgiving. You know why? Because you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They mm-hmm. come down, and who comes out at the end? Santa. Santa's there at the end of the parade. Boom! That's your that's your time. That's your time. And then you put up your tr- your tree and decorate. We'll do the tree first. Got the nativity scene up. We'll put up the village this week, and then I will probably work on outside lights this weekend. Yeah, we got those on sale. They had them at at home for it was like ten dollars for like ten boxes. So we have like abundance of lights in our house now. Do you have stockings for your animals? Because we do. We don't. No. I've wanted to. He hasn't said yes to that yet, but I'm probably still going to get him anyway and not tell him about it. That's the best thing to do. Yeah. It, usually, that's what my wife does. Yeah, y'all said I couldn't get him slippers. I already did. They're going to my mom's house right now. So we have matching slippers coming there you go. Friday. There you go. We got to take a time out. When we come back here, we'll wrap up hour number two by updating the poll question of the day and sharing your comments. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. Who should be ranked number five in tonight's college football rankings? Are we going to get shenanigans? We know who the top four is going to be. Georgia, Michigan, even though you can make an argument for Michigan being one. But Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. But who's going to be at the number five spot? Who could possibly sneak into the playoff if something happens, an upset happens on championship weekend? Right now, 66% of you say it should be Ohio State with only the one loss, even though they got drubbed by Michigan in the second half. 20% say Alabama with only two losses by a total of, what, four points. 10% of you say Tennessee. Once again, Tennessee beat Alabama head-to-head. And 4% of you say Penn State, who also has two losses. Those are likely going to be your five, six, seven, eight ranked teams and the best chances of sneaking into the playoffs if something happens. Mr. Green on the Twitter machine says, I'm going to say Tennessee. Their two losses have been against number one, and that team beat Media darling Clemson, they've played far more quality opponents than Ohio State or Penn State and beat my Crimson Tide. Now watch the committee put in OSU due to only one loss in a cupcake conference. Darren says Ohio State just blew it last week. Doug says USC lost to Utah in week seven, so let's not automatically put SC in. K-State will give TCU their best two games that could make the committee real nervous. Go Tigers. Look. I like USC's chances to beat Utah the second time around, Doug. I I really do. And I think this USC team's better now than it was when it lost to Utah. But once again, anything could happen, right? We we saw that this past weekend when number two, number five, number eight, and number nine all lost on rivalry weekend. So anything can happen, that's for sure. Dak Cajun says, what if... By everything falling into place, Bama gets into the top four and wins the natty. I bet all the fans that called for Saban to go are the first ones in line to buy the gear and praise little Nikki again. That would be the only reason I would want to see it. (laughs) Oh, man, it sure does feel like. We'll see. It should be Ohio State at five. Will it be? We're going to find out tonight. That's going to do it for hour number two. Keep those votes and comments coming on the poll question of the day. We'll kick off hour number three with Jim Gazzolo. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Poll question of the day. Don't forget to vote on it. Who should be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings? It should be Ohio State, but will it be? Uh, That college football playoff committee, they always like to have their shenanigans. Once again, if the top four went out, it really doesn't matter, right? Top four take care of business, and that should be Michigan. You can make an argument Michigan should be number one now, but it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. If those four teams win their conference championship games this weekend, they're into the playoff. Done deal. But if one of them slips, in particular TCU versus K-State or USC versus Utah, who could take advantage of it? Is it going to be a one-loss Ohio State team? Now, Ohio State got absolutely mollywhopped by Michigan in the second half. Do they deserve to get into the playoff? Does Alabama, with two losses, deserve to get in? What about Tennessee? They have two losses, but they beat Alabama head-to-head. And what about Penn State? Don't forget about the Nittany Lions. Their two losses are to the teams that played the game on Saturday. Do they deserve a shot to get in? That's our poll question of the day. Who should be ranked not number five in tonight's college football rankings? 65% of you say it should be Ohio State. But I'll be interesting to see how that goes down. It should be Ohio State. That's how I voted on the poll question. They only have one loss. None of those teams can win their conference championships because none of them won their divisions. So they're all in the same boat there, non-conference champions. And if they're forced to take a non-conference champion, who should it be? I think it should be Ohio State. But the embarrassing fashion that they got whooped by I'm telling you, it's going to leave the door open for somebody else to be put at five. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because the way the committee props up things, just saying. We'll see tonight. Keep those votes coming, and we'll share your comments this hour here on RP3 and Company. We've touched base and discussed Houston Astros free agency this morning. We've talked college football playoff rankings. We've talked the NBA with the New Orleans Pelicans. We've talked to Louisiana Raging Cajuns football. We'll talk more about the basketball teams who play today. Women tip off at 11 today for the education game later on in today's show. But what about some McNeese Cowboys? Football season's over, yes, but a huge offseason for Coach Gary Goff. Not to mention the basketball teams are up and running. Women coming off a tough road trip. Men trying to get on track. There's no better person to do that with than man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday right here on The Game. Our good friend, the great one, Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning. How are you, and how was your Thanksgiving? Ohio State. 
Outstanding. Glad you had Ohio State for Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, Michigan did, so why shouldn't I? Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. Big Blue took him to the woodshed, man. Woo! In the second half. Uh, and and my, my heart goes out to Bob uh, Jose Abreu. I hope does well in Houston, but uh, I will not miss him in Chicago. Man hates Jose Abreu. Man hates the former no, not league at MVP. All. Not at all, but uh, I just see a lot of fans saying, well, he was the heart and soul of the White Sox on a team that everybody said didn't have a heart and soul. So. <laughs> Uh, well, the White Sox got some, had some problems this year, but they had some problems this year. A little yeah. bit of a disconnect between the players and the skipper. And but that's not what you called me for. So. No, I mean, we, we could talk about that instead if you want. We could talk Chicago White Sox baseball and Big Ten we'll football if you whatever like. Whatever you want to talk about, right? There we go. Whatever you want to talk about. There we go. All right, bud. I do have a, que- I do have a question for you, though. By, I in love all, questions. In all, scenari- in all the scenarios, how does Alabama get ahead of Tennessee? Because the argument's going to be, and I don't agree with it, the argument's going to be because their two losses were minuscule and one was in overtime and both were on the road. But one of them was to that team. That's correct. Once again, once again, I didn't say it made sense. See, this is what you and I always discuss. You're like, well, why is it this way? I says, I'm not telling you that is correct. I'm not telling you that's logical. I'm telling you what they think of it is. And that's a completely I, different I think- thing. I think the SEC West was overrated this year. We saw that with Troy winning, Appalachian State winning there, and and I, I just I, I I think it gets over this year. It's not what it was, but I agree. I just think that's a fascinating one to me. Is Tennessee has to be rated to me over Ohio State or over uh, Alabama? But and I, look, I think Ohio State will be number five tonight. But I mean, I think it's going to be close. I, I really do because I think I think it's going to be close. But it'll be interesting to see if they do do some flipping in the last after this week if somebody loses. Correct. We've seen that before too. Yes, we have. Yes, we have because the committee will all of a sudden change their protocols and change their criteria on the last one. You're like, what? 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 What, what happened here? What, where, where did that come from? <laughs> yes, we've seen that before. So, uh, see, I see. Yes, I, I see what you wanted to call for. I, I, I see. I, I see a team jumping up that didn't play a game. That makes perfect sense. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> it happens, happens every year. It happens every year. All right. So you're going to have Gary Golf, the McNeese head football coach, on the McNeese Coaches Show this week. And you know, season wrapped up. They ended strong. Already got guys entering in the portal and all that good jazz. I guess my question to you is: He's trying to build something. He brought in 50 more than 50 new players this offseason he's going to yeah. lose some of those guys to the portal uh guys that would be like yeah. oh I don't, I don't you know i'm not getting playing time because that's just the era we live in yeah. do we expect gary golf because the majority of guys he got were not in the portal do we expect him to start dipping into the ncaa transfer portal this time around or is he going to go the more traditional I, route of high school and junior college i think he'll dip into it for selected needs like he did last time. I don't think he loves it. I think he's more of a, uh, talking to him, he's more of a junior college build freshman type of guy. Um, but I think that transfer, you have to look at the transfer portal now for everybody. But I, I've always said this, LSU gets transfer portal guys because they're good. And the, the, the people that come to the McNeese's that sometimes come because they couldn't play at the other places and they may bring baggage with them. So you really got to watch what you're getting. There's two sets of portal guys. I like to say, 
um, the guy going from Alabama to LSU or something is obviously a, a five-star talent guy that's looking for specific playing time to move on. The guys coming to McNeese a lot of times have, have, have lost their way at the places they've been. So you really got to you really got to do your due diligence when you look for a portal. Not only that, golf's going to have to recruit his own guys. We already know that Mason Pierce has entered into the NCAA transfer portal and will be looking to leave. Are there other guys, yeah, in your opinion, gone. that there he's going to have to try to re-recruit or uh, recruit to stay, or is Mason just the big name? No, I, I think you have to. I think everybody has to re-recruit their guys to some extent. Um, I think the interesting thing is because all the younger players that played at the end of the year may have helped him to keep some of those guys that weren't getting playing time to say, hey, I played a lot at the end. Yeah, Maybe there is a future here for me that, that wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, it's a lot easier to leave when you haven't played a minute than when you've been a part of three straight wins that's down the stretch. Uh, I, I think Micah Davey is a guy that didn't get a lot of playing time, played very well at the end, made a name for himself. Now what does he do? Um, does he explore? So I, I think all kids are going to explore because that's just what we live in now. But I think that the re-recruiting your own kids has to really start. If you're one and seven, like they were, that's when it has to start. It can't start at the end of the day. It has to start with kind of setting the culture of players wanting to play there, wanting to go through something like that. Otherwise, you've lost. You've lost a lot of guys by week nine anyway. What's the worst thing about the NCAA transfer portal? Is it the fact that kids can just come and go as they please, that we have guys that have played for 17 teams in a four-year stretch, or is it their social media posts where they go long-winded and have misspellings in a post that's way too long? <laughs> uh, is there an all of the above? <laughs> no, there's, uh, the, the, the truth of it is, is there's no accountability for and no study of what really works out there. Most kids that go into the transfer portal, ironically, do not ex- do not get scholarships. Um, but that hasn't been really publicized enough to where kids don't understand that. Uh, <clears throat> most are not success stories, but we hear about the success stories. Correct. I think that's the one thing that bothers me. But I, I think that it, it, kids are learning. I think the fact that this year the NCAA kind of is tying you to Educational being responsible for the education of the kids you bring in will make teams look and say, well, wait a minute now. We really want to bring this guy to our campus. Um, but, I, again, it's it, it's not – I can't go against it because coaches have been in their own transfer portal for years. Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley are just two of the, the names from last year that left their teams, highly successful programs, for more money. And they found success. So how do you then turn around and tell a kid you shouldn't do it? Correct. Or you should play in the bowl game, but I'm not going to coach in that bowl game. So loyalty starts at home. Very well said. Jim Gazzolo, the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys for the late Charles American Press. He's also host of the McNeese Coaches Show and host of Poke Nation, multimedia superstar in the Chuck joins us. In in the the Chuck joins us. All right. 
and bitter and bitter voter. How's that? I would be a bitter uh, voter if I voted. <laughs> um, quarterback, wide receiver, are those the two top priorities for Gary Goff this offseason when it comes to the recruiting trail? Uh, pro- probably that and, and def- depth at defensive back would be a third. Uh, might be a might be a two A quarterbacks it because that's that's what drives his offense. If this team had a had a quality competent quarterback all year long probably has two or three more wins um that's how important it is that's how close they were that's how more important it is but i really think that you have to also with that get somebody to throw the football to on a consistent basis um john mccall is the name that comes up because he's big he's young he had a good second half maybe he emerges as a freshman that he can go to but i really think he'd love to see a guy that can take the top off the defense and make big plays and kind of open things up. Um, but, yeah, quarterback, essentially number one, getting some playmaker number two. Let's switch over to the hardwood because so, John Aiken's team had a, a tough go of it last night. They, they had promise in a road game at UT Martin, but they fall short 86-83. to 83. They're 2-5 and five on the season. Throw. Make a free throw. There it is. He doesn't even let me finish. <laughs> they dropped to two and five on the season, and now they get to go play at Tennessee tomorrow night. They're in Knoxville. I'm sure that will uh, end uh, well. And not to mention, they still have road trips at Northern Iowa, at Iowa State, and then they have to take on a very good UL team as well at home in the next few weeks. What do you make of – how the McNeese men's basketball team looks early in the season. Much improved, much improved, but still not fundamentally sound on every part of the game. You can't, you can't go on the road, go eight for 27 from three throws and think you're going to win. It's just not going to happen. And that's what happened last night. They went eight for 27 on uncontested 15 foot free throws. You go 10 for 27 and you're in overtime. You go 11 for 27, which is still way below 500, and you win the game. Uh, they one shot away. They played well. They played really well at Baylor, by the way, for, for three quarters of the game. Um, so they're playing well. They have some weapons. They can shoot the ball much better. than. Ironically, they can shoot the ball better this year than last year. They just can't make free throws. And, and that's I think they'll be competitive in the Southland, but if you can't make your shots, those games are going to come down to one possession games like last year. That's what killed them last year. When you look at their schedule, it, it non-conference is brutal. I mean, you're talking yeah. on the road at perennial NCAA tournament teams. They're two and five now. They got Tennessee, yeah. Northern Iowa, Iowa State, Southern Miss, and they got to play Houston, who I do believe is ranked number one in the country. Uh, number one or number two? I don't. Yeah. Is it number one this week. Yeah. So. And Iowa State just got ranked. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's a there's a likelihood that they're going to be like what two and thirteen, two and you know three and fourteen, three and fifteen. They're going to ha- have a, a a possibility of some L's rank you know piling up on them. How yeah. does he keep their confidence level high to absorb those losses? before they get to Southland Conference play, which will be on New Year's Eve when they travel, make the short trip to Beaumont to take on Lamar. 
who they beat at least. I mean, at least you got that going for you. Yes. I think that that's the big, that's always been the question I've asked about McNeese when they go play these money games. And that is when do you lose the team at three and 20? When do you, you know, when does that happen? Because that's, that's the avoidance you got to make. And that's a hard thing. And it's winning games like last night against the mid major. It's bringing two mid majors or three mid majors in and winning only one game. Those are winnable games you have to win in order to stay around 500 so that it doesn't look, the optics don't look bad. People say, well, they just stink. Um, because you and I know the difference because of who they're playing. I like the schedule. For the most part, I like the schedule. In the past, they would go play in Iowa State and come back. If you're going to go play Iowa State, I like the fact you're going to go play a mid-major in Northern Iowa on the same trip. Um, same with Middle Tennessee. But is in that case, you have to win that game when you're down three. That's the game you have to win when you're up 14-5 to five to start the game so that you can enjoy the cash, the check cash to Tennessee because you're one and one on the trip. See what I'm saying? So the schedule was set up right. They just didn't finish the job last night. What's the thing that they need besides free throw shooting, Jim? We'll wrap it up with this, our conversation. What's the other thing that they need to do a better job with in the next few weeks before they begin conference play? Um. I think they have to do their defensive rotation, get it down, because it is a new defense they're running into. But hold on to the basketball. Um, they did a pretty good job of it last night, not turning the ball over. But if you press them, they have the tendency to, to go too fast and turn the ball over. Those, those are, free throws is the key. I think turning the ball over is the other key, because I think they have some scoring weapons that they haven't had this year. I think they're better inside. Um, but, again, I want to see how they come out of this, because – they could have three, four wins by the time they go to Lamar, and, and that's going to look bad. So how does that work on your psyche? Correct. Brother, appreciate your time. As always, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's, my time is your time, Raymond. My time, <laughs> as always, is your time. Oh, i got number love for you, brother. Enjoy your day. <laughs> <laughs> go Buckeyes. Oh, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back here, we'll talk a little UL basketball. That's right. Got two games at the Cajun Dome. The women play their educational game, annual game, at 11 this morning. And then the men play tonight. We'll hear from both Bob Marlin and Gary Broadhead. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, look, if you're looking for great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, look no further than the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity 
to score excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great stocking stuffers by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So once again, help us help you with stocking stuffers this holiday season. Go sign up for our rewards club today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. It's all about the college football playoff rankings. Who should be ranked number five? One loss, Ohio State, who got drubbed by Michigan in the game on Saturday. Two loss, Alabama. Two loss, Tennessee, but Tennessee beat Bama. Or two loss, Penn State. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. No shenanigans. Don't need the social media police out here today, okay? Don't need Hannah Five Names policing what you're doing either. You don't want that. You don't need that. Two games today at the Cajun Dome for the Louisiana basketball programs. Women, they're going to start things off coming up here at 11 o'clock for their annual education game. The men play later on today. And Bob Marlin's team, they fought hard but lost a road game at Drake. But still, they're off to a very strong start to the season. And the longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach, talked about, you know, the last week for his program, who, once again, preseason favorites to win the Sun Belt Conference. Good week last week. We started off with the game at SMU. It's always good to go beat an American school on the road and, and, and pick up a check. So we played well, beat a good basketball team, and then went on to Drake where we played a better basketball team. And we had some things go against us in the first half. One was our inability to put the ball in the basket. And then a few calls went against us. We had a little adversity, got in foul trouble, fell behind. Uh, and then with 54 seconds to go, we're about to get the ball back down forward and we give up a layup to their best player. Um, but disappointing loss, but we learned a lot about our team this, this past week. And we're focused on Loyola tomorrow night. Focused on that, and that'll be obviously their opponent. Look, they've had a good start to the season. The win at SMU is impressive. They're 5-1 and one overall on the season, beating Louisiana Tech, beating SMU. They lose a, a tough one to Drake there on the road in Iowa. And they'll come back home for STEM night. Tonight against Loyola, tip will be at 7 o'clock. And then they'll play at UNO on Saturday night. And Marlon said, look, it's early in the season, but there's still plenty to like about his team already that's kind of stood out to him. And he said, you know, what's really stood out to him, what he's liked so far about his team. Defending hard, playing hard, competing. Uh, we weren't great defensively the other night, but we were really good when we had to be. We forced a couple of shot clock violations in that late run. Uh, so been pleased with that. And we're 40% shooting team, but we didn't, didn't, do it, didn't shoot 40% the other night, and that got us. I always said this. The, the best coaches find out more and do more with a loss than they do with a win. And they suffered their first loss the other night, losing to Drake on the road. 
What did Bob Marlin learn about his team after suffering their first loss of the season? Just it was a conference type game, a road game. I mean, they're receiving votes in the AP top 25. They'll receive more after their win over us. Uh, they've got a, an older team, uh, just like Loyola does. And but it was like a conference road game, and it, it's one where we've got to respond better. We had a had a chance at the end, and we didn't make a couple of plays we needed to make. I mean, one for 14 from three in the first half. Second half we were what, three for nine, but we shot 63% from the field in the second half. So we went from 23 to 63. And, uh, but we lost the game in the first half. It was our poor offense, and it was the worst half we'd had offensively all year. Once again, men get back in action tonight at the Cajun Dome versus Loloa. That will be at 7 o'clock tip. The women, meanwhile, they're going to be tipping off at 11 o'clock versus LSU Shreveport in the uh, annual education game. Cajuns, rough go of it to start the season. They're three and four. And Gary Broadhead shared with us yesterday, you know, his thoughts about his team early in the season. Well, you know, uh, to me, I think it's trying to put them in a position to feel confident. You know, I think the confidence that I thought was there may not have been there when it comes to the offensive side, you know, because they were getting open looks and stuff. And we were trying different lineups, you know. We're actually trying to play two point guards at the same time uh, in the – you know, and when we get to Denton, we kind of changed it up a little bit. And, you know, we started D. Rice, and then we had uh, Cherry Porter coming off the bench in that last game. And, boy, I think it helped her. You got to realize, too, it's not just about offense. If you're Cherry Porter, you got to guard the best, best, their best player. So, you know, you get a lot of energy. And if you never notice, we get to the three minute mark, we start pressing. And so now she's involved in that. Well, I thought in the Abilene Christian uh, game, we were able to not put her in the game until the three-minute mark. She was fresher. She's at the point, which I think is a little bit easier to score from when you go inside out, and she got some open looks. And it looked like she was more confident. And we just got to build on all that, you know. Tamara Johnson shot the ball better, rebounded. I think she had double-doubles in that tournament. So, you know, just a lot of things that I knew were there that I think are kind of coming out. Now, can I, the whole trick to it is can we be consistent at it? They'll look to get more consistent at 11 o'clock this morning versus LSU Shreveport. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk Tulane Greenway football. They're hosting the American Athletic Conference championship game. A win. They're heading to the Cotton Bowl. We'll talk about it with Chrissy Freud, college football writer and someone who covers the Tulane Green Wave. That's coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Tulane Green Wave. What a turnaround 
season for them. Not only are they hosting their conference championship game this weekend, not only did they snap the longest losing streak to AP top 25 ranked teams in history with a win on the road at Cincinnati this past weekend, with a win in the title game, they're going to punch their ticket to a New Year's Six Bowl game going to be heading to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl Classic presented by Goodyear. What an amazing turnaround down in New Orleans. And to break it all down for us is one of the best in the business. She's Air Raid certified. She covers the SEC, Tulane, and the NFL Draft. Our friend Chrissy Freud joins us here on RP3 and Company. Chrissy, good morning to you. Hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday. Good morning. Yeah, I spent uh, my Thanksgiving holiday driving 16 hours round trip. But I mean, it was it was a good time. Uh, I'd never been to Cincinnati before, so it was a really good game and obviously really good turnout for the Green Wave. I'm a large person, as you know, Chrissy, so I'm going to ask you, how was the Skyline Chili? Um, it was a lot better than I expected. We apparently, according to the comments section, did not do it justice. But as we did explain in the video, whenever... I announced that we were going to do this on Twitter. I forgot that on on Thanksgiving, a lot of things are closed. So we had to order a can of it from a store and then eat it on a plate. With a, Apparently, you're supposed to like use noodles and stuff like that, and we didn't. But I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I imagine if you do a rice, that it's, it's pretty decent. But I feel like it's one of those things that you can't eat on a regular basis. And if you eat it too much or eat too much of it, it starts to become grosser by the bite. So... <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. All right, let's get to something that isn't gross, and that is what the Tulane Green Wave have been able to do this season. Uh, A lot of things are different from the huge turnaround from last year. Uh, I want to start with the quarterback, though, because he's been there for a while. You know quarterbacks. You cover quarterbacks. How much has he developed not only as a passer but also as a leader for this team? And I'm talking about – young man Michael Pratt yeah I think he's grown into himself just maturity wise I think that's been a really big thing but I think that a lot of this um just that that's come together I think a lot of it was already there last season I think he just literally had no help I mean the offensive line was crumbling within about two seconds quite literally sometimes it seemed like as soon as the ball was snapped somebody was already in the backfield getting to the quarter the quarterback I think that uh, play calling is a lot better. I think that the departure of Chip Long is something that needed to happen. I think that uh, Jim Sabota has done a really good job there, and I think that that's played a big role, uh, both from a mental perspective for the guys and I and just the offense as well seems to be rolling a lot better um, under him. And I think the receiving core has also gotten a lot better. So I think having the pieces around him has helped. But I think that what Michael's kind of spoken to is just that this is what happens naturally. I mean, by the year, the game slows down for a quarterback. But I think that uh, his his decision-making and ball placement's gotten a little bit better. I don't think it was ever really bad. But I think that just having what he needs around him has, has allowed him um, to do more things passing and not have to run for his life all the time like he did so many times last year. They also have been far more effective with the ground game, correct? Yeah, I would say so. I think that um, having Tajay Spears uh, this season, obviously, I think that he he did some good things last season as well. But I think that a lot more things just have opened up for them. I mean, he's had, I believe, six consecutive games uh, crossing the century mark. And I think that he's always been an NFL talent, but I think that that's come to light uh, so much more and just so much versatility, so many different ways 
um, to use them because, I mean, it's, in this era of the NFL, you need somebody who can block. You need somebody to play the traditional role. And then, I mean, you can use them on trick plays, too. So I think that it really comes down, a lot of it comes down to the offensive line. I think the offensive line has just gotten so much better. And I, just in, in anything in football, you can have all the talent in the world and everybody else can be good. But if you don't have an offensive line that can hold consistently, you can't get anything going because you can't get the playoff the way you want to. A lot of headlines for the offense, and rightfully so, but sneaky is how good this two-lane defense is compared to what they've had in years past. What's been the big change on that side of the football from last year to this year? Yeah, I think that this, especially the linebacking core, has really come into its own. I think there were some injury issues, injury issues just across the board, I think, uh, caused some problems last year, and that's not been so much the case this year. But I think that when you look at the guys on the defense, I mean, Dorian Williams, uh, Nick Anderson, Jaden Kennedy. I mean, there's so many different guys across this defense that are being looked at as serious NFL prospects that I think could all be early round draft picks. I mean, there's multiple of them um, in a way that we haven't really seen in past years. So I think that this is a team that had really the top ranked passing defense in the nation for several weeks. Um, they've fallen a little bit in that, but I, I still think they do a good job of that. I mean, it seems like every time the game comes down to be close and you need somebody to deliver in the clutch, this is a team that comes up with a, with a key takeaway or something like that, which is what happened with Dorian Williams in the Cincinnati game. I mean, I think that's what gave the offense some momentum as far as just giving it really good field position and kind of turning things around in a game that's kind of seemed to be going back and forth field goal for field goal there for a little while. And so, um, yeah, I think that they've done, they've done a really good job. I think the run defense has also improved. Um, over recent games after that mishap against UCF, and I don't think that's going to happen again this time around. We're talking with uh, Chrissy Freud, college football reporter, NFL draft reporter. She covers the SEC. She covers Tulane. She joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let, let's go back because they faced off against UCF on November the 12th, and that's a game that they lost 38-31. What stood out to you about that game that they fell to the Golden Knights. What's, what really stands out to you that was the difference in that ball game, Chrissy? I think it was honestly the talent on the ground of John Rice Plumley. I think that he's not as developed as a passer as he needs to be. Um, that's I think that's kind of why Mikey Keene, uh, just on top of the injury issues, uh, the hamstring that's been bothering um, Plumley for the past few weeks, I think that that uh, Keene's the better passer, and I think that they've seen that. Um, but as far as last game goes with Plumley, I mean – this is the quarterback that I watched at Ole Miss, and I thought it was a shame that um, he didn't have more of a role because, I mean, Matt Corral was obviously the better guy, and hands down, they should have gone with, and they made the right decision there, but he was simply too good to be sitting on the bench. And I think what people don't realize about John Rice Plumley is just how fast he is. I mean, he's really, really quick, and, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that can run um, pretty effectively, and we've seen a lot of those. Uh, Evan Prater in the Cincinnati game was one of those, but, I mean, he is absolutely lightning fast. I mean, he's one of the only quarterbacks that really gave uh, that LSU national championship team a problem. So I think he's a threat on the ground just to, to literally anybody. It doesn't matter how good you are. Um, I think it just came down to stopping him and stopping the run, and I think that they had some issues um, with that, and that's kind of what that game boiled down to. Because I mean, these are two offenses that have proven they can be high-scoring offenses. UCF has done that consistently uh, this year, but I think that it just came down to the inability to stop the run in that game, but you kind of get the sense that's a fluke with the way that they've kind of managed up on that ever since that game. 
and they get another crack at them, and it's always hard to beat an opponent twice during the season. And they just played a few weeks ago. Plus, Plumlee came up a little gimpy with the hammy in UCF's win, that shootout win over South Florida over the weekend. So that could be a factor as well. What's another X factor in this rematch for the AAC championship on the line? Yeah, I think it just comes down to, to rolling quickly offensively and trying to, I'm not saying that it won't be a shootout, but trying to avoid uh, that kind of back and forth, super close uh, situation. I think that uh, the defense consistently coming up with some of those clutch plays, like I mentioned before, could be the difference maker there. And then Valentino Ambrosio, I mean, me and Willie Fritz had a conversation about this. Um, we, when we look at a football game, I mean, we talk so much about offense and defense, but it really comes down uh, so much to special teams, in my opinion, whenever it gets close like that. And I think that Ambrosia has been money lately. And then uh, Tulane, just special teams-wise in general, I think has done a lot of really good things lately. I think that Lawrence Keyes has been pretty good for them. That's a guy that's not really talked about quite as much, but he's had some big plays there. And so I think uh, special teams is definitely going to be something to watch just in addition to um, how much does – can they stop John Rice Plumley this time? How healthy is John Rice Plumley, and how much does that uh, make a difference? But I think that it's going to be a good game. I think that it's going to be um, a close game, but just trying to avoid getting into that situation where you're having to put it on the line to stop John Rice Plumley, which is hard. Like I said, hard for anybody to do. I don't care who you are. They finally snapped the longest streak in AP poll history of consecutive losses to a ranked opponent. They do that last week on the road against a very good University of Cincinnati team. They'll get a chance to yeah. beat another oh, – go, go ahead, Chrissy. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, just what that game came, came down to, to me, was just how good Tajay Spears is and how effectively they were able to run the ball. Because, I mean, Cincinnati's uh, secondary, I was telling my friend Maddie, who's a sideline reporter for the team, I mean, I, I, whenever I watch that team, I think that if I'm a, a quarterback or just the opposing offense, I'm almost – scared like on pins and needles uh, to watch somebody throw a pass just against that secondary because of how aggressive I mean that's what Cincinnati's defense has been described as is aggressive and they do they do play that way they're able to get the win against the ranked opponent snapping that streak they'll have another chance to beat another ranked opponent when UCF comes to town for the championship game do you believe Tulane gets the job done on Saturday and punches their ticket to the Cotton Bowl I do think so I think that um, in a way, I don't want to call UCF one-dimensional, but it seems like their key strength there is just how, how good of a runner John Rice Plumley is. And I think that UCF um, still a really good team, but has just been so sporadic. I mean, I don't think anyone expected uh, them to fall to Navy's uh, option offense that gave them so many issues. And I don't think that anyone expected uh, a 1-11 one, one South Florida team uh, to bring it that close down to the wire. So I think that Tulane overall is a more complete team. I think that they were only really one sweep away uh, from winning that game against UCF, and it just came down to tuning up the run defense, which I think that they have. Um, and, I mean, after I after the game in Cincinnati, I talked to Tajay Spears, the last thing he said when he walked off is, and we'll win the next one too. And I think that's an underrated thing about this team is this mentality. I mean, the whole 1-0 thing sounds cliche. Everyone says it. But, I mean, whenever you're around that team and around the players, I mean, you can just see how locked in they truly are and just unfazed um, by everything. And they're not looking three weeks ahead after they won all these games. And I think that they just stayed uh, very steady. I think that there's a lot of just growth, I think, maturity-wise, mental strides being made uh, that just comes with players getting older. So I think that 
that this is a team that has the ability to accomplish that. And I think that they really came a lot closer um, last time than meets the eye. All right, Chrissy, I'll get you out of here with this. I got about 45 seconds. Reports are Willie Fritz is going to be going to take the Georgia Tech job. Oh, when do you, you think that's going to happen after the conference championship game, or do you think he'll stick around to coach the bowl game since it's such a big deal? I would think that he would stick around to coach the bowl game because, I mean, this is just such a historic uh, thing, but I think it's going to be interesting just to kind of see how it shakes out. But I do think that uh, it was it was just interesting how somebody jumped the gun and how people were saying that he was already gone. I think that's very much uh, not the case, and I think things are still far from finalized. Chrissy, appreciate your time. As always, enjoy the championship weekend. It should be a great environment there at Yolman Stadium, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. We're going to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. It should be a glorious Tuesday morning because of the free agent signing yesterday, but you never do know. <laughs> That's coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Don't forget, we got Tiger Rag Radio tonight right here on the game. That'll begin at 6 o'clock. I'll run from 6 to 8 o'clock with Jeff Plaramo as the co-host. want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey, from the Locked On Astros podcast. Coach Dez, Louisiana Raging Cajuns head man. His team's bowl eligible. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press and the Munis Coaches Show. And, of course, Chrissy Freud, college football reporter analyst for joining us on this edition of rp3 and company our poll question of the day college football playoff rankings will come out tonight we asked you who should should be ranked number five in tonight's college football playoff rankings we expect georgia michigan tcu and usc to be the top four winning the vote 63 percent of you say ohio state 21 percent say alabama 12 percent say tennessee and four percent of you say penn state B-Rad on Twitter says Ohio State's best win is better than Bama's best win by the rankings. Penn State's two losses are better than Bama's two losses, so Bama shouldn't even be number six. Tennessee beat LSU and Bama but lost their QB1, so they shouldn't be number five either. Hands down, the Buckeyes should be number five. That's how it should be. I actually agree with that. We'll see if that's actually what happens tonight because <laughs> you never do know. You never do know with the college football playoff committee. You just don't. For the producer extraordinaire... Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and hopefully a glorious footnotes is up next. Right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.